Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Manchester is Red podcast, which is very aptly titled this week after what happened on Saturday. Today I'm joined by Charlotte Dunker. Hi. And I'm also joined by a special guest, uh, Chris Slater. Hello. Hello. Um, there's only one thing to talk about, Chris. Uh, I mean, everyone knows your allegiance anyway. You were at the Etihad on Saturday. Uh, the emotions of seeing how phenomenal City were in the first half to how they disintegrated in the second half. Um, is, is that the worst derby capitulation? you've experienced would you say or is, is, is there another one that stands out um, I don't think it's one of the worst I think I wouldn't quite put it up there with maybe my Chloe winner because you know I think <laughs> yeah. there's, there's yeah. still a feeling of superiority obviously because we're top of the league and we're, we're playing well but um, it was just it was a real sickness you know like, I, I know fans are trying to dress it up by just saying well we'll win the league anyway but you know the pie was ready to be started we don't know the Fireworks on the roof, everything, all, all that. So it was, it was a proper throwback to the kind of old city and old United in a way. You know, you know, city mucking things up and United coming back from the dead. It, it so was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a crazy, crazy game. But yeah, a real sickness for City. No it, it was so typical City that uh, Paul Lake seemed to put his foot in it with his with his halftime. Um, it's not really a rant, just just a. Passionate analysis. Yes. Call it. Yes. Yeah. That's that's right. If you haven't seen it on on YouTube or, or on Twitter or on any of the ch- platforms, it's well worth watching. Um, Charlotte. Some people said that this is the day that Jose Mourinho kind of arrived as Manchester United manager. Is that excessive, or is is it fair to say that this is a potentially seismic win? I I think it is obviously a massive win. Has he just arrived? No, because I think. A lot of players in the second half especially stepped up and that's what they haven't been doing for the for the rest of the season. None of us were in the dressing room to know what he said to them at half-time, but we've uh, got some reports on the website obviously saying that it was the older guard that inspired the win. When we say older, we're talking like players that are just over the 30 threshold. So um, Ashley Young and Michael Carrick told them what it would, what it would mean to stand there on that pitch and for City to win the league in front of them and I'm not sure why they needed to wait till half time to have that team talk to be honest because they should have known that before they went out but Mourinho tactically I don't know I don't think too much changed I think the players decided to up their game and play for him in the second half Do you, what's your view on it? Well as you, as you say I, I don't I don't disagree with his team that he played because uh, it was exactly the same team that I picked in the in the panel, so I think he was he was fine with that. It, it, you know, sometimes City just blow teams away, but I thought United were at least equipped uh, to deal with them. I think actually Paul Lake made a, a fair point. Is otherwise, um, uh, I need to be careful what I say here. <laughs> Euphoric uh, uh, outburst at half time. Um, 
in that the, there was a bit of unpredictability about City where you didn't know who was quite going to be spearheading it. Sterling was starting on the right, then he was coming through the centre. And Herrera was clearly ring rusty where he hadn't started the game since Sevilla away, I think. Uh, but it, it seemed a simpler case of maybe some City players got too comfortable and then you see world-class talents like Pogba and Sanchez actually play at the level um, they're capable of. Sanchez, it seemed, became brilliant as soon as City fans started um, chanting there's only one greedy insert, insert, insert beat there. Um, and, and Pogba was, was just it was, it was incredible watching him um, but I've, I've, I've always been in the opinion that City are, are a phenomenal, phenomenal attacking side, but there are definite issues there in their defence. And it was quite telling that John Stones wasn't even on the bench. I don't think that was necessarily to rest him for the Liverpool game, given how he played uh, Anfield. And you know, there's, there's a blueprint there to beat them, but certainly for 45 minutes, um, it just... It, United were woeful. Well, um, I think that's if if you look back at the season as a whole, everyone said, "How is City going to fare next season? Are they going to run away with it again?" If you look back to the seasons when United were winning everything, so many teams stood off them and let them play because they were in awe of how good the players were, and they'd give them too much space on the ball, and United would be able to tear teams apart. Obviously, that's not what happens now because teams have learned that if you go to Old Trafford and you try and defend for your lives and just park the bus or try and attack United then maybe you can get a result and I think not. I'm not taking anything away from how City good, how good City have been this season because they've been unbelievable but if you go to City and try and take the game to them, they are fragile at the back and they've, they've shown that in the last two games really haven't they, so I think for that reason alone next season should be closer, not just like between City and United but between I don't think the teams are going to give City the same respect that they've given them this season to allow them to play in that way I think it's a vindication of Mourinho's approach to, to an extent as well. You know, I mean, the, all three goals came from pretty bog standard crosses into the box, didn't they? You know, there's, there's nothing spectacular about them. They weren't brilliant flowing moves or whatever. But if you then go on and win three two, the fans don't don't care, do they? I bet there was no United fans saying, oh, you know, he was just humping it forward or whatever like that. So, you know, obviously at the back they're still they're gonna have to find a way to keep it tight because. Um, you know, it could have been four or five. I think we could agree at half yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And United yeah. could have been well out of it. You know, but they, uh, it was only through City's profligacy that the, the door was left open a little bit. So it could have been different on a different day. But um, this idea of being tight at the back and then just you know being quite direct up front rather than you know trying to hold on to the ball or anything, get it into the opposition's box quickly can cause big problems like it did on Saturday. There was a ring of truth about what Danilo said about United just using long balls but I mean I think Fernandinho used it to describe Liverpool's approach last week but sometimes there are different interpretations of what that is like the goal for um, for Salah's first was a long ball up the pitch it wasn't aerially. Um, watching Sanchez on Saturday was there a pang of regret there that City didn't end up with him or is it just you know, it was one of those games where he happens to turn it on for you. Um, I, I thought he was brilliant, actually. I thought his, his performance got lost a bit in the kind of yeah, pop up story yeah. and, and and whatever else. But I think he, he, it was it was more the energy. It was just you know suddenly there was a bit of harrying, and I think he won the D win the free kick. I think somebody yeah, I think you know, did, 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 he yeah. nipped in, and then that won up the free kick that Smalling scored from. So it was just that energy and intensity up there, which reminded me a little bit of what Tevez was like for City, where yeah. he just he was because he, Gabriel Jesus runs around and snaps at heels, but he doesn't do it with that kind of 
you know, um, with the intensity that he does and with, with that sort of physical presence. So I think if Sant- if we- I think with Santa has just been a bit of lack of confidence on the United weren't in fantastic form when he joined and it's uh, he seems to have just kind of been dragged back a little bit. But I think if you can get him playing like that every week next season, he could be a massive player for United. As we suspected that actually benching Sanchez seems to have jolted him and that since that Brighton game he scored against Swansea and he played well and then he, he was brilliant in the second half of the weekend um, do you also think Charlotte that there's a balance there for United that it's clear that in these top six games Mourinho you bring the third midfielder in but against maybe the, the, the other 14 teams in the Premier League that he can get away with just two midfielders there it's not going to restrict Pogba Yes, as in play Pogba in a attacking three, or is he lenient? Well, you, you go back to the start of the season when he had Matic yeah. and Pogba, and they, the, it was absolutely yeah. fine. Do you think that's that's the way forward? That's the the middle ground him Pogba have there. Because Pogba said yeah. at the weekend about his second goal, I can't do that if I'm in a midfield. Yeah, exactly. Two. But like you said, he can't play a midfield two against the the top six. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, like you said, if they have that understanding that. Ordinarily, when they're not playing the top six in the table, he can have more freedom and play that. Every every United fan wants to see Pogba playing a more attacking role because he just seems stifled when he's playing in that midfield three. That obviously didn't happen to him at the weekend, but I don't. I'm not calling him petulant, but at times with Pogba, you just seem the look on his face. You think if Mourinho is not playing him in the position he wants to play, and it's not going well, he's kind of thinking well, you've played me in this position that's not my best position, so what do you expect to happen? And when he got hooked against Newcastle, wasn't it, and the look on his face, he just looked absolutely furious. He was unwell that day, in fairness. I know, but he did look really <laughs> peed off, didn't he? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To be polite. And then since then, there's been this whole, do they have a disagreement with each other? Have they fallen out? That sort of thing. But I think the international break really helped because before the international break... Everything just seemed to go a bit sour everywhere. It was and, quite tense, wasn't it? And um, yeah, United got through in the FA Cup, but all obviously all the post-match chat was so negative, and he threw everyone on the bus, mainly Luke Shaw, to be fair. But after that, it's like they needed that two-week break, everyone away from each other, maybe to consider what they needed to do for the rest of the season, because obviously the league's gone, but there's still he needs that blueprint for next season now to work out as well who's going to play where, where he needs to buy and the players that are left in the squad need to fight for their position in the team if they still want to be there next season. It's, it's a valid point, particularly given how well Pogba did in that Russia game, having been on the yeah. bench for France's first game. Um, Chris, the, the, the atmosphere seemed well, I mean, it was pretty good in the first half. Do you think that a lot of City fans were moaning that it just went too quiet at 1-0 and then sorry 2-1 and then 2-2 uh, what was your sense what was the atmosphere like where you were yeah I thought the atmosphere was brilliant actually I mean you know to be expected if you can't yeah. get up and get the atmosphere up when you're 2 up against your rivals and think you're going to win the title then I suppose you've got some problems but no it was it was good I, I know a lot a lot of people think that the stuff at the start you know with the holding up of the Coloured cars. We are sitting. We are sitting. It was a little, that's a little bit contrived, I suppose. But I suppose it did. It created a good atmosphere, and it probably helped in the first half. You know, I think you know we, the crowd whipped up, and it it helped the performance a little bit. But you're right. But that's just in City's DNA and City's psyche. This nervousness of the fans. I thought even at two 0 I thought some of the there's a lot of you know kind of premature celebrations going on the concourses and 
certain people, including my dad, were saying to me, it's not over this game, you know, people are an older vintage, you know, we've seen city collapses year after year. And I think I think once the first goal went in, that, that, that spread like wildfire on the ground, everyone started to get panicking. It, it probably didn't help, no, but I don't think you can help. I think that's in the club's DNA. So they've just done it so many times to most of those fans that, you know, they started to fear the worst and so it was. Is it still a little bit of a surprise that, that this set of players who... It's not like the Jeff Whitley or Gerard Vikings or any of those players. They're completely separate from that era in a way. They've they've had a lot of success at the club. Is it still a bit weird that guys like Silver and, and Sterling can can succumb to that? Well, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, and I think you know, there seems to have been in the last couple of games a little bit of mental fragility been exposed. Which if you'd have been watching them all season like I, you just wouldn't even think that no, was there. No. Um, but I suppose it's the same with any team. Man, no, it just takes an aura, the aura of invincibility to slip a little bit. And I think United found that post-Fergie, didn't they? The, the aura of Ferguson himself you know, just loomed over the ground. Suddenly when it was Moyes in the dugout, teams fancied it a bit more. Teams started having to go a bit more. And then, you know, that, it, kind of all the problems <laughs> went from there. But, so once, once, you, once you lose that aura, it is difficult. But I agree. I also think there's a little bit of mentality about it, as in... When it got to 2-1, a lot of teams might think, right, that's just digging here for five, ten minutes, you know, make sure they don't get an equaliser, let's just reassert. But with City, it just seems to be, they go for kick-off and they go, they, straight away they're looking for Sane or Sterling to get going again. You know, there's, there's never any really cons- consolidation or, yeah. or anything like that. It definitely did that Anfield. If they could have gone in at half-time, 2-0 rather than 3, that would have been, that'd have been a massive difference to the tie. So, yeah, it is surprising, but, you know, I suppose... You've got to remember United now, you know, the second best team in the league, the league doesn't lie and um, just because a lot of the criticism they've got this season, there seems to be a lot of people thinking that it was a foregone conclusion on Saturday that City had win, but you know, I ne- ne- certainly never thought that and I think that performance proved it. It, it did seem to uh, epitomise City that the, the equaliser, which I think was 97 seconds after Pogba's first, it was the supposed defensive-minded guy in Fernandinho, it was brilliant in the first half, you just didn't bother tracking him. Um, which I suppose you could say encapsulates quite a lot about City in terms of their defensive fragilities. Uh, on the topic of Fergie, he was actually booed when uh, some City fans belatedly clocked him on the big screen before the game. Pantomime Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there's been all the thing he about loved it, didn't he? Yeah, there's been all the thing about oh he didn't want to lean against the crest because he didn't. You know, there was, as there was much apparently... as that makes for a good tweet, there's just something in me that doesn't believe. Well, no, the, the, well, the, the the truth behind it was that you you had the mosaic things, and he obviously didn't hold his up. So, um, shocking. Yeah, <laughs> pe- pe- obviously, totally Man United and all those accounts will say, oh, he's he's got a a cover, it runs that deep, blah blah blah. Um, He's but... not going to get infected by no. touching him. No, no, exactly, and 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 the seat is blue anyway. Um, but in, in terms of the, the Fergie factor, I mean, there were parallels galore um, during that game, be it the, the 3-2 comeback. Um, but on the topic of the comeback, is it time that we started to get accustomed to not writing off this United team? Because earlier in the season, if United went behind the game, you'd think they're as good as that's as good as it. They're, they're not going to get anything from this. But recently, Palace, Chelsea... Uh, City at the weekend they're, they're mounting some very impressive comebacks now. they've shown more desire the further it's gone into the season but I don't know I still think if you'd spoken to most United fans at half time on Saturday oh, yeah, yeah. 
even the most ardent United fan would no. never ever have predicted that they were going to come back from that. Even a draw, you would have you would have said no, probably not. You could have seen City going on. But the only thing you could have said is that United could have only played better in the second half. City should have taken more of their chances. But are they going to become comeback kings like in the late 90s? <laughs> I'm not too sure. I think there's still a long way to go on about that, boys. I suppose the good thing to see from Jose Mourinho's perspective would be that that belief is still there and that for a while you just thought that never die attitude had sort of gone. And you were... And, City had it at the start of the season, didn't they? And City were doing like yeah. the old typical United and popping up with the United first minute winners, minute winners, and that's how they've gone on to be in a, such a strong position now at the end of the season. Whereas United would get towards the end of the game and you'd still be thinking, oh, they could throw this away, or you never thought that they were going to come back. But I suppose that's more to do with the mentality of the team as well, which is a positive going, even looking forward into next season, wouldn't you say? I would, I would, but I'm going to get on to Chris Smalling now um, with with a, a very eerie statistic, which is that four of his United, uh, four of his, I think, 16 United goals have come in games where United were 2-0 down and they've gone on to win 3-2 and, of course, won them in the Community Shield in 2011, which was an identical goal uh, where he volleyed past, I think, Joe Hart that day, but... I mean, he's a player that if the, if you were writing an obituary about any United player, it would have been him at half-time. In terms of that symmetry, it was company who out-jumped him uh, six years ago in that 2012 game. When you look at United's defensive issues, um, Rojo signed a new contract, Lindelof was signed in the summer, uh, Bailly is, is untouchable there. Jones has done pretty well under Mourinho. You'd say that amid all this interest in signing a defender in the summer, Smalling would be the likeliest to make way um, in the summer. Yet you look at how many games he started and how often Mourinho keeps him in when it would be easier to drop him. Can you see him going now or do you think it's got to a point where it's just illogical to let him go. I don't think he is the comeback king. No. <laughs> Despite the stats. Uh, <laughs> he's not, you know, he's comeback king hero. It's an eerie, it's, it's, it's eerie, but yeah. But I think circumstances played a lot in Chris Smalling's season in that obviously Bailly was injured. Yeah. Then he played with Jones and Jones has been out for a bit. So, and in the meantime, he's, he has stuck with him, Mourinho has, but then I think that's because the other one's always been injured and he's been the more... If you look back to the start of the season, though, it was Jones who I'd say was more, more, more consistent over Smalling. And I oh, just yeah. think yeah. going forward, you'd see him as a more solid partner with Bailly, Jones, rather than Chris Smalling. So I, and Smalling, he's got to consider his options, really, hasn't he? Because if Mourinho goes in front of a central defender in the summer, where does that put him down? Because if he's buying someone, he's going to, he's going to buy someone who wants to partner Bailly. So then, realistically, you're leaving Jones and Lindelof as backup centre-backs and Rojo and Rojo they've got three of them so if I was Chris Smalling well, yeah I'd probably leave if I was him you, so you I'm not I mean he's, he's, he's he, I think he's only been unavailable for three games in the league due to injury and he started pretty much every one since September but that little injury spell at Christmas do you think it's just the, the circumstances have been the main reason why he's been used so much yeah I think so yeah I think injuries to other players have really helped him. Has he had a good season? season. It's been like peaks and troughs, hasn't it? Like some some games, I think he's been really solid for United, but then there's some games he's had absolute mares, and you just think. Like the Newcastle game. Yeah, like the Newcastle game, and you just. 
I suppose when you go back to look at United's solid centre-back pairings and you've got like Vidic and Ferdinand yeah. and that sort of thing, you want, at the minute, you wouldn't think, oh, we've got, United have got two solid centre-back pairing where they're the first two on the team sheet, which is really, that's how solid they need to be at the back. You always would put Baye in and then you'd be like, hmm, who's the safer option out of, out of the others? Yeah. And maybe Lindelof, I think Lindelof's going to improve, so maybe he's going to be the long-term person to be next to Bailly, but I can't see it being Chris Smolin at all. Mm. He might be a victim of the kind of social media age a little bit as well, you know. Like, you know, obviously now, like, during games, as soon as, soon as anyone makes an error, it's jumped on. There's, you know, there's, and they start trending. Short clips of it and things yeah. like this. And people quickly become a figure of fun. I mean, it's happened with Lovren at Liverpool. He still gives... Jurgen Klopp still keeps picking him despite yeah. everyone yeah. deriding him as basically a pub defender. Happens a little bit with um, John Stones at City as well. I think they're probably players who, who play well for you know eighty nine and a half minutes, but are prone to that one error. And I know if you play at the back, that's gonna, you know you're going to concede goals. But I think the manager's faith in him is probably the best evidence you need. You know, spotted like you say. I know circumstances probably have conspired in his favour, but. Still keeps getting picked, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. If you were going to have a centre half who would be a fourth centre half who you might want to play in the League Cup or for you know games against lower, you know the bottom bottom teams in the Premiership, I can't imagine Smalling kind of mm. kicking off at being on the bench. Whereas someone like Rocco or Lindelof, who've got international careers, to be thinking about things that like they might do. You know, he's still Smalling quite young, it. though. He's still quite young, it's Chris Smalling. Mm. Like, Twenty-eight, is he? Yeah, I know. It's, I know the others are a lot younger than him, but if if someone a lot younger than you is getting picked ahead of you week in, week out, unless you're the sort of player that's just interested in sitting there and picking up your pay packet, if he genuinely thinks next season that he's going to be fourth in the pecking order of United Central Defenders, fifth if he buys somebody else, why would you stick around? The, the quirk of it is that uh, Lindelof and Bai haven't started together as a partnership either. Yeah. Um, and obviously Smalling has started with both. I think Lindelof... You saw his post after the game on Saturday. He was quite, I think he was like my man Smalling, which suggests that Smalling's actually helped him mm-hmm. quite a lot because they have played together quite a lot. Uh, but then the bigger picture is that Smalling's technically out of contract next year. And I know they've got that one year safeguarding option. But when you're at this stage, you have to start to wonder do we sell him this summer? Do we sell him next summer? They've got that problem with Luke Shaw in this summer in the, and, and Daley Blind in the. They're clearly not going to be getting new contracts, it looks like, um, given their situation. So you've really, they, United have done themselves a little bit of a disservice because they probably could have got more money for them uh, last year. Obviously, with Shaw's situation, he was injured at the time, so that has an impact. But I mean, it was it was interesting. I think we noticed that Smalling's agents were, way change agents last summer, they were quite keen to um, uh, drum up interest in him on their social media. Uh, channels, uh, Chris. In terms of looking ahead to next season, where th- this has been a bit of a procession for City, and that the, the league was won before Christmas, are you expecting it to be anywhere near as easy next season, or do you think it's just going to get tighter, particularly after what Liverpool and United have done, or do you just think last week was an aberration? Um, I do. I do think that's uh, next season. So it's going to be a lot harder. Um, you know, I think. I can't remember the last time was it United the last team to defend the Premiership like, uh, to retain yeah, it yeah, yeah retain it would have been yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think anyone's retained it for quite a while now um, obviously next season people are going to have seen us quite a lot worked out how to play against us people are going to be coming up with new ways to stop us a lot will depend on again summer transfers 
who who the top five and six by. You can imagine City, you know, throwing quite a lot more money at it, and if they were to sign another top top forward, you know, um, not specifically him, but someone like Griezmann or someone like that. Now they missed out on Sanchez, and um, <clears throat> maybe another midfielder. You would think that they, they they would only get better and move forward, but I think I think next season will be tighter. I think there will be a tighter race next season. But City are obviously massive favourites, and I would fancy them to win it again. But yeah, I think it'll be a lot more. I can't imagine the gap being. 13 points or whatever at this stage of next season it'd be a bit more interesting for us if it was closer um, than, than 13 points Charlotte um, United's positions where they want strength and are pretty well known already is is looking at the way City played against them at the weekend did that just kind of like vindicate this emphasis on the defence and the need to bring uh, full backs in maybe centre half in and defensive midfielder yeah defensive midfielder and centre backs I think it's obviously where Mourinho needs to prioritise Gareth Bale still being linked to United <laughs> like every he, he always day will. in the Spanish press will. but I think United fans as well a lot of United fans are still saying that let, let alone if you part the press that are making these rumours up some of the fans still want him and I just think you need to leave United's attack alone now like some, it will start to which click is what, which is what Mourinho has said as well in needs, fairness needs to click with them and it will click with them and it's more at the back and getting that back up in um, central midfield as well obviously with Carrick going and it's but it's really good news talking of Carrick obviously what we were saying about the dressing room it's such good news for United that he's going to stay around yeah. because if you look around the dressing room you need characters like that and he's obviously was the sort of person who spurred on the, to victory at the weekend so I think yeah he's retiring but he's still such an important player around the club but you need a player like it, another player like him to come in because when no disrespect to Scott McTominay because obviously he's done a very solid job since Mourinho brought him in but I don't think if anyone had said at the start of the season that he was going to be a regular in United's first team that anyone really mm. would have believed it but that was injuries again that have helped him along this season but then that just showed United don't have that strength in depth at the minute that City have in their in their squad because when Mourinho uh, they were talking weren't they about Guardiola playing like a weakened side but you looked at their weakened side and you've, they've still got world-class players to bring on the bench. And United got, earlier in the season, we're getting to a stage where you bring, you had reserves on the bench, like yeah. the, the, actually the under-23s, not just deputies sort of thing. Yeah. So I think that's where you need, United need to work on as well, getting a bigger strength in depth of the squad. Which, Quality or quantity? Yeah, well, both. Like, they need... I know obviously money's not no object they're not going to be able to go out and buy like five world class players um, but they definitely need more I'd say definitely one if not two defensive midfielders and like of a good quality as well but someone that's not going to be upset to sit on the bench because it's going to be I think you need to get that rotation right as well next season Talking of uh, as you've touched upon with Carrick um his coaching role still not been specified, but Pogba was saying what a brilliant impact he's had on him in terms of. It's a bit, bit strange, Carrot saying what you need to do to get forward and score goals when yeah, him making it. those bursting runs was was never his forte. But I suppose he provided the the pass quite often. Uh, it's I mean, he doesn't need to have a named role. It can just be coach, mm-hmm. but. Is is that the role just to keep him in now, or would you think that, given the under twenty three's struggles this season, that there needs to be a change there? The under, something needs to change in the under twenty three's definitely. Although they did win quite four nil, yeah, yeah, four nil against Sunderland, played very well. And then a big derby game on Friday. They've got coming up. Was that the under eighteen's? 
23. And the under 23s yeah, as well. Wow. Playing on Friday against Dar- Derby's galore. Yeah, all the Derby's. <laughs> um, I just think if you take Carrick out of that role that he is away from the first team, then lo- you're losing that experience. And I just think who is who? Who's the other person that can bring that experience to be the that team? buffer between at, players and like coaches. at the moment? Yeah. If you look around that dressing room, who would who would it be? Like, I realize his pog was a leader, but he's still so young. Mm. And Michael Carrick's very experienced. He's been around United winning for so long as well, and he knows what the what they used to do to dig into win. I just think if you take him out of that and you put him with the under twenty threes and have him as the under twenty threes coach, amazing for the under twenty threes and maybe they'll start doing better next season but I think the first team would suffer for that uh, the boot could be on the other foot this weekend because United's under 18s could win their league against City um, just just to finish on the you know, segue into that this weekend Chris does it bother City fans I mean looking at the squads at the weekend nobody was really expecting Phil Foden to be in the squad or Brahim Diaz but when you see that United have got five academy kids and I know they're Getting soap starts there because Pogba was brought back and Joel Pereira was from Portugal. Um, but does it rankle at all that Guardiola hasn't used uh, the academy players as much as he has, or as much as they maybe thought he was going to? I don't think it bothers City fans as much as non-City fans think it thinks it yeah. think it might. But it just the reaction that Foden's got, you can tell that you know if we were to get our own Marcus Rashford kind of thing, you know it would be we wouldn't have to do a lot to become a a cult hero pretty quickly. I think his, his management of, the, of sort of him and Brahim Diaz and those sorts of players has been pretty good this season. They've had a you know a fair few appearances. There's just there has been a lot of games this season, particularly at home, where with three or four nil up after you know half an hour, and you think it would have been a nice opportunity to bring the David Silver off and let Foden have a half or yeah. or thirty five minutes rather than one of my pet hates is when he brings him on in like the eighty eighth minute and. Obviously, he's then you know clocks up. He's had another appearance. But yeah. Really, has what experiences he really gained from that? Just running the clock down, you know. So, um, I think he could probably. I think he just needs to make sure he's got at least one of these youngsters on the bench in the in in the instance that we race in front and he can give him some proper experience. But I don't know. Like, I kind of because of the high brown fold, I was kind of expecting like when you first saw Wayne Rooney as a seventeen year old, yeah. immediately one of the best players on the pitch. But I don't, you know, I know he's still very young and stuff. But he hasn't quite had that sort of explosive impact. You know, he's he's, he's looked comfortable and tidy rather than magnificent kind of thing. But I think he probably just needs more game time to kind of blossom. There's, there's probably a danger as well being uh, the, the English media that we they mm. um, build him up too much as well. Mm. Uh, and Charlotte, from from United's perspective, it must be pretty satisfying having guys like Lingard and, and Pogba having such a, a big influence on Yeah, and I think it's good to see the likes of Jesse Lingard do well because he's got so much stick over the years, hasn't yeah. he? Obviously because Justifiably he's... or I think It's the... been excessive, hasn't it, at times? It has been really excessive and I also think we're in this age now where like the older fans, they the with social media and things like that, everyone's criticising like Paul Parker was criticising Pogba's hair and saying how that impacts his performance. I have absolutely no idea how the colour of someone's hair can impact a performance. Gary Neville was as well. Gary Neville say. wasn't happy with it either. But if you look at like older fans, like social media's only become a thing recently, like as we're all similar age and it's only become recent like when we were younger and watching football it was never a thing so if you think of like our parents and like grandparents and stuff they're not going to get this whole 
dabbing in the dressing room, filming, they're like, why can't you just go out and put a good performance in on the pitch? And it's yeah. very easy for them to turn around and criticise that when they aren't doing well. Um, whereas the younger generation aren't bothered and they see it as a different way to like get a different insight to a player's life. So I can I can see why he has been wildly criticised, especially by the older generation. But I think the best, most satisfying thing for him must be that he's just had such a good season that it's like two fingers up to all them people, really, isn't it? Because why why do they care what he's doing in the dressing room if he performs well on the pitch? The dark thing about the Pogba hairstyle as well was that. He, he turned up with that hairstyle at France. Yes, that's training he did camp. it for the and national team. Yeah. The, the, the blue and white thing only became relevant because Guardiola had come out about um, Raya offering him offering Pogba to City. But uh, I mean, it was, it was mad. I, I even had a, dis- a mild dispute with someone on Twitter who who told me that France playing dark blue, not light blue. But I don't think Paul Pogba was. Maybe he needs to change the colour of his hair dye next time. Well, and if he t- if he dyed his hair on Friday night, it'd have been he spends too much time on his hair. So well. Um, yeah. Anyway, we will uh, we will leave it at there. Thank you very much to Charlotte and Chris for sitting in on this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening also. Uh, please do subscribe to the Manchester's Red podcast on iTunes, Audio Boom, or your podcast platform of choice. And we'd always appreciate any reviews that you're able to give us. Thank you very much. Thank you.